journaling this week with using the prayer of exam. It's great that Deanne talked about that again this morning. St. Ignatius and the prayer of the examine. So for those that were here last week, if anybody's willing to share, how did it go with doing the prayer of examine last week? good to just take a moment to reflect and I didn't do it more than once because I got busy which is why we need to do it to reflect yep it's part of that reflection someone else did you have an opportunity to do the prayer of the examine last week show me where you were with me today and being able to see that you know different times throughout my day it is helpful it is helpful anyone else I enjoy it it's it's one that I have to remember to go back to Uh, just as Deanna was talking this morning it was something that I was introduced at Gonzaga, which is a Jesuit university in St. Ignatius, and learning to do the prayer of the examine. And it's one that I forget to do, and then it's when I come back to it, it's like, why haven't I not been doing this? Because it is such a relief, particularly at the end of the day, to stop and reflect and think about where have you felt God in your life today? Where did you, where did we need God in our life today? And where do we want him for when we go out tomorrow? So we're going to kind of stay with that. We're going to add a different twist to it a little bit this week. Uh, And and near the end, if you did not get a journal last week, ask that you, um, if you want one, to take a journal with you. And to write these things down. I know that for some, this is out of the ordinary. And that this is a practice to get into. And I was in the same boat as you. I was forced to do it, or I did not pass my class. But (laughs) it was a very good practice and I have been blessed immensely by taking the time of even 10 to 15 minutes to contemplate, to write down, and to move forward. And I haven't yet, but one of my goals will be is after I've done it for a year, which won't be until October because that's when I started it to go back and reflect on from October to October, what happened and what did I experience and have that piece and have that tracking of it. And again, it's only for you, but it's an incredible thing to do and that's something I would encourage you in this class because as we talk today about servant leadership, servant leadership is completely about a holistic approach to being a servant and being a leader. And we're going to kind of dive in it today. So when we talk about servant leadership, today I want us to think on this. Servant leadership is that we want to know the difference in the B. And when we leave today, we want to know the difference in the B. And that's where servant leadership is coming from. So what is it? So we're going to look at the history of it today. We're going to talk about some of Greenleaf's ideas. He was the one that uh, really 
put forward servant leadership, and we'll talk a little bit about his background and why it came into place. We'll look through some of the 10 characteristics of servant leadership. And then lastly, we'll tie it in where Dr. Furch says, okay, servant leadership and forgiveness, they're going to meet together. So when we look at the history, Robert Greenleaf was in college in the 1920s. I believe he was at the University of Chicago is where he was in school. And his life was kind of influenced by one of the last semesters that he was in school and by one of his professors. As he said, the professor wasn't necessarily a good lecturer, wasn't necessarily very interesting, but he made one statement that really stuck out to him. And it was that the professor said that today we have become a nation, this is in 1920 when he said this, that we have become a nation dominated by large institutions. We've been dominated by large businesses, governments, churches, universities, and at that time, labor unions, that we had been dominated by it. And that he put the challenge out to each one of the students that was in his class is like, if we want to see actual change, we have to be in these institutions. And the only way that we're going to see change to where we're really doing things for the public good is that we are part of it and that we can't look from the outside. Because he's talking about that I'm a professor, I'm not in it every day, I can write about it, I can talk about it, but I'm not in it. And so he was suggesting, it's like, you need to go out and get in it. So Greenleaf thought about that and he took it to heart. So in the mid-20s, he was hired and started working for American Telephone and Telegraph Company, AT&T. And he worked for them for 40 years until 1964 and worked his way all through the company until at last he was in HR is where he wound up at at the very end. But he had worked there for over 40 years. And so after he retired in 1964, then he started on a brand new career of being a business consultant and writing about servant leadership. Now another part of Greenleaf's backing is is that he is a Quaker and you know Quakers have a very much of a reflective type of service reflection is a huge component of what their services are about and so that's his background where he's coming at it from a religious standpoint and so from 1964 until he wrote his book in 1977 he traveled throughout the United States and Europe and he was a business consultant and he started having these conversations about how do we lead in this new era that we are in and what should we do and so again he published the book in 1977 and I meant to bring a copy of it today but it is the basis for what we're going to talk about with servant leadership and so that's Greenleaf but he's like, okay, you got servant leadership, but what was your inspiration? What led you to servant leadership? And it was this book. Herman Hess, in 1956, wrote a book called The Journey to the East. And it's a story of a, a mythical journey for a group of companions. They're on this journey. They're going uh, through here to where they reach their destination, sort of like, uh, uh, I would say, Pilgrim's... Uh, Progress and also the Canterbury Tales. So it's kind of along those lines and if you think about it. But the lead character, the character that really stood out in it was Leo. And Leo was the servant. He did all the menial tasks, but he's also kind of the lifeblood of the group. He was the one that sang songs, he told jokes, he kept everybody upbeat, and he did 
everything. And as the book goes along, about midway through the, the journey, Leo disappears. And the entire group falls into disarray. They don't know what to do, they don't know where to go, and they completely end the journey and they go back. So when he was thinking about servant leadership, he goes, Leo is what I'm talking about. This is where we're coming. When Leo left, everything fell apart. And so that's where he wanted to go. And he thought that this was a person that was of extraordinary presence. And when that person left, nothing else worked. And so that's part of the backing of where he's coming from. And his idea came from Herman Hesse's book in 1956. Now, when we look at it, we think of the word servant and we think of the word leadership. So turn to the person next to you, and I want you to come up with two things. What do you see the difference is between service and leadership? And come up with a, some words for each one. What do you think of service when you think of service? What do you think of leadership when you think of leadership? So pair up, take a moment, talk to somebody, talk through that. Okay. So who's... Uh, who is willing to share a couple of items that you talked about in your group? What did you think of when you thought of servant? What were some of the things that came into mind when you were defining servant? What else do you think of when you think of servant? I liked what Kali said, and that a servant anticipates the needs of others. I like anticipate. that a lot. Is that for is that thinking in advance? Okay, that good. Really what did you think of? What do you think of when you think of leadership? What were some words that came to your mind for leadership? Inspiration. You inspire other people to do things. Inspired by other people to do things. Someone else, what else do you think of when you think of leadership? Power. Power. Definitely a lot will co coordinate leadership with power. Anybody else? Someone that's out front. Out front. The leader is out front. Okay. Well, part of the issue is, is that when you put the words servant and leader together, it creates a paradox because we don't equate the two in conjunction. And so he did create a paradox. I just found this cartoon. I thought it was funny. But it was, <laughs> yeah, you're not orthodox. You're now a paradox. It is. It creates a paradox because we don't think about servant and leader being compatible. We think them as opposite things. And grief and relief is like, absolutely not. That is not what we should be doing. And so in his book, near the beginning of it, he talks about that a servant leader is a servant first. They are first in serving. That it's something that is natural feeling that you want to serve, to serve first, and then you make the conscious choice 
to inspire, to lead, but you have to think of being a servant first. So who is Greenleaf's model for this? Well, his model is our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the true example of what it meant to be a servant leader. And this is where we get to the difference in the B. In Matthew, Jesus was talking about why he came. And if you notice down near the end, he says, I did not come to be your servant. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. But the greatest among you must be a servant. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. The difference is in the B. A lot of us want to be a leader, but we do not want to be led. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants us to be led. He wants us to be a servant, not to be served. And that's kind of the background and the idea that Greenleaf was putting forward in servant leadership. Now Greenleaf's book, is more of a collection of thought over the years. Like I said, he was with AT&T for 40 years. He did business consulting and he wrote these things down and, and he did a couple of short papers that he kind of put together into his book in 1977 about servant leadership. And then years later, other scholars, particularly Larry Spears, who is at Gonzaga and is the chair of servant leadership at Gonzaga University, and he started looking through all the writings and he came up with that there are four things that really come out in servant leadership. And that first one is to increase, and it was to increase our service to others. That was an idea that came forward is that we want to increase our service to others. And that is a holistic approach. That it is more than just doing a set of skills, doing a set of things. It is us taking into that mindset and reflecting on how we can serve. And that is a person that is served is the one that we should be following. We should follow somebody who wants to serve. And again, that is very much what we see in the life of Christ, that we are compelled to follow him because of his willingness to serve, and he was the son of God. If he's willing to do this, what are we doing? So it's a holistic approach. The building is, is that part of the goal of servant leadership is that we are to build our community and to build others. That we put others in front and we want to build our communities, we want to build others. It's not just about building one person, but it's a building our community as a whole that we are a part of. And then lastly, where it's talking about sharing, he felt like one of the key components of servant leadership was the ability to share. And I'm glad somebody mentioned that leadership was power the first thing that he says is, is that we must be willing to share power. That a servant leader shares power. Whereas somebody who's just driven by leadership wants power. And again, the difference is in the B. So what are the 10 characteristics? In this slide we have up here, we have the different characteristics that we have of these. And we'll kind of go through some of them. We'll touch on a little bit heavier that are ones that Larry Spears and other writers have really highlighted more than others, and we'll kind of go through it. The number one 
part of being a servant leader is listening. I mean, how many of you have been in class? Talk about listening. I have to say it all the time in my classes. Listening is the key. If you're unwilling to listen to somebody, it's very difficult to create that relationship that's going to be needed. It's going to be very difficult to serve somebody else. It's also going to be difficult to lead somebody else if you're not willing to listen to them. How many of us have the knack of that when somebody's talking, we're not listening, we're really thinking about what's our reply going to be? And I am major guilty of that. Part of my ADD, too. Always thinking about something else. But that's part of it, and that's where he felt like that servant leadership, one of the largest keys to servant leadership is that, number one, we must be willing to listen. And we have to listen, as he says, receptively, that we have to be willing to stop, turn off what our wants are, what our needs are, what we want to say, and to be receptive to hearing what somebody is telling us. And this is going to be a very key component when we dive more into about the forgiveness aspect. The receptive piece is a key in the forgiveness. And then it's something that we need to do internally. We need to take what they're telling to us, we need to internalize it, and then lastly, we need to stop and reflect on it. And again, why that we've included journaling as a part of this act of forgiveness is that we need to stop and do reflection, particularly on what somebody's telling us, so that we should be receptive to them, we should listen, put it internally, and then we need to reflect on it before we even think of making a reply. And most of the times, we don't even need to make a reply. We just needed to sit and we needed to listen. So one of the key components is listening. Any questions on that? Any comments? I, I can't help but think about the correlation between the command for us to be still and know that God is God or this component in our engagement with others and how examining prayer and just mindfulness exercises help me learn the really difficult task of being still because I'm not going to hear, I'm not going to really hear in this way if I'm not still. And that, that's just so, so fundamentally counterintuitive that when, you, when I think about it in those terms, I see how it all dovetails together. And that stillness and meditation are going to help me hear God better and it's going to help me hear people around me better. Yeah. If, I'll just, if I'll just build a habit. It's a habit. Just build the habit. Um, how many of you since the beginning of class have already been thinking about your to-do list the rest of the day? <laughs> That's part of the listening. Uh, part of the mindfulness is to be in the present. And until we're quiet, as Tracy's saying, until we're quiet, until we can calm all of that that's in our mind and to sit down it's going to be very difficult for us to hear the Holy Spirit and its guide to us. So many times we're so busy in the day that we squelch the Holy Spirit because we're not willing to stop long enough to be in the present and hear God through the Holy Spirit talking to us. He gave us the Spirit as a guide, Acts 2. You know, you will get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But until we're ready to listen, until we're ready to reflect, sometimes we squelch that voice that would be there to help us because we're too busy thinking about what I've got to do next, 
or what happened just before, and we're not living in the present. And so part of that is being in the present and listening. Another key component of it is empathy. Empathy. And this can be very difficult. It can be hard. Gentlemen, our wives kick our butts in the empathy category. We have learned through our upbringing to be stoic. We do not show emotion. We do not crack. We have to be the foundation that everybody stands on. We have to be the rock. And we have to learn to empathize with somebody else. We have to be able to get that understanding that somebody else is coming from a different perspective. And we have to say, okay, it's not about what I think. I have to be able to listen, understand where they're coming from. We have to be respectful of the pain that they're carrying, and we have to be accepting of that pain. And that is sometimes extremely difficult to have empathy. And a lot of times we don't equate leadership with empathy. We equate it with power. I'm going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it which worked when my kids were four years old, but now they're 6'3 and 250 pounds, that does not work. <laughs> it's not gonna work. You're gonna have to have empathy. And that was one of the key components that he's talked about. Along with those, he, he added these. So we have healing, we have awareness, we have persuasion, and we have conceptualizing. The healing again goes back into making us a whole person and having other people to be whole. Healing, we have to have that compassion to reach out to other people, to help them, and to have that healing component of it. If you're really gonna be a leader, you want the people that are around you to be whole, and so we have to heal. And there's the awareness of it. We have to be aware, just a general awareness, not just of the people around us, but our own self-awareness. Where are my weaknesses? Where do I lack? And where do I need God to fill in that gap for me where I have weaknesses that I need? So you have to have an awareness of it. And then persuasion. Again, my biggest is 6'3 and 250 pounds. I have to use persuasion because that is the only thing that's going to work. Food is usually a good persuasion for somebody like that. It's a good persuasion for my dog, you know, they have treat persuasion. You can't force him to do anything. A 70 pound hound does whatever it wants to. Uh, but treats is a great persuader. But no, we have to think about how can we persuade somebody else? How do we convince through them without coercion? And that's another part of the servant leadership idea. And then conceptualizing, putting in the idea. In the book, Greenleaf talks about that when he was looking at conceptualizing in a business standpoint, he was thinking about a board of trustees. A board of trustees' goal is those long-term range ideas, that they need to be conceptualizing what we need to be doing in the long run. They don't need to be bogged down into the day-to-day -day running of the corporation of the business. They need to be looking for where are we going, what are we doing, and so he kind of talks about that component of it, that we need a piece of it that's conceptualizing. Don't just think about what I have to do today, but taking that time to think about what is the real long-term goal that I want to do? What is the long-term goal for my family? What's my long-term goal for me? 
So we have to stop and do that conceptualizing of where we want to go, what happens. For me personally, that happened five, uh, six years ago. As I said before, I blew up our family and decided, you know what? My career is not, my goals have changed. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want to do. I enjoyed my corporate training component of it. I was like, but I really want to teach at the college level. So I went back and got my master's, was able to get hired at Belmont, which I have thoroughly loved and is a wonderful place to work. But I got to do it, but I had to conceptualize how do I get there, what's going on, and I'm still not through taking the next steps at Gonzaga. But conceptualizing, thinking those long-term goals. And then foresight. It's a lot like the conceptualizing, but in foresight, it's one of those ones where you take the experiences that you've had in the past, you take what's happening, the realistic ideas, what's really happening in the present, and then you think about what's the consequences of this decision into the future. And a lot of this will come with trial and error with foresight. And he talks about in the book that this is not necessarily a gift that a lot of people have, but I do believe that all of us through experience have understood this is what's happened in the past, take in what's taking present today, and then what is the decision for the future? I was reading uh, an article by a lady by the name of uh, Margaret Wheatley. She does incredible work about quantum physics and talking about it in a psychological way, and we'll get into her a little bit later on in the semester. But she was talking about that the things that we are doing today, and we talked about some of the atrocities that are taking place last week, the things we do today is not just affecting us and our generation. We have the ability today to affect six and seven generations into the future with the power that we generate today with nuclear and other things that we have going on. So it's not just conceptualizing what we're going to do today, but the consequences are long range for what we are doing as a whole as humans. Then some of the final characteristics were stewardship. Uh, it is in us that we have been entrusted with a lot of the things about the good of the society. Again, we go back to a servant, we must have a commitment to the growth of people. People must come first, we come second. And as for someone that works in the academic world, that one hit home to me if, oh, it's been over 10 years ago, almost 20 years ago. I was in Indianapolis and I went to the Indiana Leadership Conference. And a professor from Notre Dame got up and she talked about that she had recently written a paper and she said, I sat down and I looked at all of these young men and young women that are coming through my classes and she's like, am I worthy of the talent that has been entrusted to me in this room to give them what they need to go out into the future? Have I put them first? And that has stuck with me over and over. Am I worthy of the people that have been sent to me into my classroom, am I worthy of being entrusted with that talent? And that's something else that Greenleaf was putting into. And then lastly, it is building community. It is not about just one thing, that we must look at it from a whole piece. How can we bring healing in into our entire community, not just one or two people? And again, that servant idea. Any questions on those? want to say um, when you look at these sometimes it can sound like this just applies to a business or to an organization but when he talks about it I mean it very much applies to an individual and a family um, and a 
friend group and your extended family. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't have a position of leadership in a corporation, this still <coughs> applies to your daily life and how you interact with others. And no matter what role that you play, again, we think back to Leo. Leo was the servant on the journey. No matter what role that we are in, no matter what role we play, we have the ability to put others first. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you just are a frontline worker, everybody has an opportunity to put somebody else first in your role. And so many of us... There are people that you're going to be able to reach in your role that I will never be able to because I have no, no business in that area, particularly when it comes to building anything. I have no business there. <laughs> but there are others that can lead through what they're doing and through their example. I know, uh, John, you know, my sons loved you coming in and your perspective on things in their covenant group and having those peace. Pete, I know how much your son loves you because I heard him talk in Covenant Group and the way that you've led in your example in your family. Everybody has an opportunity, no matter what role you play, to be a servant. And that's the part that Greenleaf wanted to get across. Everybody has a place to play in family, in work, and in our community. So what in the world does this have to do with forgiveness? And at the beginning of the book, in the introduction, Dr. Furch was writing that servant leaders must also be healers. And it is that healing component is where the forgiveness comes in and it is definitely where the power lies. It is forgiveness and it is power. Now I mentioned earlier when I was talking about empathy that we, gentlemen, we sometimes have missed the boat on that. And when I was thinking about who is a great example of service, and we'll get to her, but the one I wanted to spotlight is my sister-in-law, our sister-in-law, Janice, Janice Eason. Uh, she was married to Tracy's brother who passed a few years back. Janice, we used to think that we were kind and caring people until we met Janice, and we found out that we are heels compared to her. She is the most thoughtful person I have ever met. She has a heart that is incredible and she puts other people first. And if somebody sees her on the street, they're going to judge her because she's overweight. But they don't know her and they don't know what the heart is. She does what she could. I think one of her favorite things, I think she's been able to go back now, is that she sits in the nursery with those babies and gets to hold those babies during that class, and that's one of the things that she offers. Her English is a second language. English is a second yeah. language. She goes in and holds those babies while those women are learning English as a second language. She is, like I said, one of the most incredible people that I have ever met. In our family, it is my wife. She is the servant. And Gentlemen, we have been outshined by our mothers, by our wives, by our sisters. Uh, we have a lot of things to put up. I know I'm talking about myself mostly there. And that we have a way to step up. And I have to do a better job to be a servant. But we have some incredible examples of this. So, this week, what we're going to do. This week, I want you to go back to the prayer of the examine.
and I want you to work through that again this week. And if you weren't here last week, if you just go in and you pull up the prayer of the examine, good that thing's coming away from that. You can find lots of them online. E X A M E N. Prayer of the examine. And go through it this week. But this week, we're going to think about. God, where can I serve someone today? And then reflect on that opportunity. So think about where you were close to God today and where did he give you an opportunity in our lives today to be able to serve somebody else. And think about when you get to the last part of it, the one I was thinking about tomorrow, think about asking God, God, open up to me and be able to give me the ability to see where we can have that opportunity. So we're going to kind of walk through it again. And this is one of my favorite short little meditations. It's called the bell meditation, mindfulness bell meditation. It's about five minutes. I hope that I've got the volume down that I'm not going to blow everybody out of the room when we did earlier. You barely have to turn the volume up in this room for that speaker to be able to hear it. I've got it as low as I can possibly get it, I think, to be heard. But it's a bell tone. And we're going to take a moment, we're going to relax, we're going to take some deep breaths to get ready. And when you hear that bell tone, I want you to hear as it's reverberating out, I want you to think about where's an opportunity that I had to serve somebody this week, this last week, and where do I have an opportunity to serve somebody going forward? So you'll hear the bell tone, you'll hear the ring going out, and just think of those in your mind. If you need something else to focus on, it's like, you know what? Sometimes it's hard to get out and to have the courage to do it. So think about what Moses left with the children of Israel before he handed the reins over to Joshua. He told us to be strong and courageous and to not be afraid. So if you want to keep that in your mind, say that verse over in your head over and over again. Be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. And as you hear the bell tone, think on those things.
Okay. If you did not uh, get a book for journaling and you would like one, uh, Tracy can hand some out. If anybody wants one, just raise your hand. Should I hand them? This week, let's make the difference in the B. Instead of B served, let's go to serve. Thank you so much. Next week, forgiveness in the family. We're going to get into the into the weeds next week. <laughs> Watch out.